0: Hello everyone and welcome to best one since the next one, the podcast that dives deeper than the penguins bloody bite marks on the nose of the unsuspecting into film and TV franchises and the fandoms they inspire. This is our second entry into our Batman series, Batman on screen. Today we're talking about the Tim Burton years, Batman 89 and Batman returns two of the most flawless movies ever made. We'll get into it. But today I had to bring on the show, a very special guest, someone very near and dear to me. To discuss at least Batman 89. We we built our friendship around this movie, I think. But today on the podcast with me, I have Mr. Joel Gilbert and his podcast debut, I think, right?
1: Uh <laughs> not, ne- not necessarily, but it's my uh first podcast in a hot minute. Oh, I guess you were on that podcast for Joel and I used to be in a
0: band called the Campanellis, and you did do like a, a like a drunken interview at Quinn and
1: Tootie's bar. <laughs> We were definitely compromised and uh, <laughs> heavily intoxicated on that interview, and I—I I probably said some things that I regret. But now we're we're looking at like. 10 years later. So I, I think I'm good. You got canceled on that, on that, yeah. Campanelli, on that local spins pod. <laughs> canceled. <laughs> yeah. So scrub the internet for
0: that. We'll look for that later on. So, Joel, I wanted to have you on for this movie because I feel like even if like Tim Burton and Michael Keaton called me and they're like, yeah, we heard you have a podcast and we want to do Batman 89, I'd be like, ah, I got to do that with Joel because I feel like this is one of the first things we bonded over as friends. Here's a list of things that we bonded over as friends. Bruce Springsteen. Check. The anniversary. Check. The get up kids. Check. And Batman eighty nine. Does that sound accurate?
1: Sure. There's there's probably like a hundred and fifty thousand other things too, but those are definitely some some highlights. <laughs> and uh, and Batman is uh Batman nineteen eighty nine is is very important to my life and uh Rewatching it just like fueled the fire of that even more
0: absolutely i think i remember joel and i both used to work at gamestop uh uh, unfortunately (laughs) i feel like there were countless days where we'd have like game advisors or like people that worked under us like i was the assistant manager and joel was the third key and like we would like tell our employees to pick things up because we kept doing the don't forget your lucky deck from batman Nine, like spraying like fallout three cards everywhere and people were just had to pick them up all day i think that uh there was many times where we just did the don't forget your lucky deck part from this movie and did like 52 card pickup so sorry (laughs) if any and if any of those people are listening sorry for that it's an important job i need someone i can trust (laughs) you are my number one guy now, don't forget You're lucky deck. So, at this point, you said you know you said Batman '89 is very important to your life. Specifically, what's your relationship to Batman '89 and Batman in general?
1: '89 and Batman in general. I, I feel like it's just because I, I grew up in it and I I, the, I lived it. It was. Not the first movie I saw in the theater, but the definitely the first movie that I saw that was I was excited to see in the theater, and I was like sure. ready to go. And you mentioned it before on the other podcast, but at that time, Batman was everywhere, and uh, anywhere you went, the bat symbol was everywhere, and I, I just lived that. And I mean, I'm still still living through it because the movie is is hype, and. Um, <laughs> It's just, it's just such a good movie. It's definitely my favorite superhero movie of all time. And it, and I can't see anything else even coming close to it. Yeah. Batman is just, I don't, I, I was thinking about it and I was like, cause I was like trying to come up with a good answer. And I was like, I don't even know where I discovered Batman. I have to imagine it was from like my dad buying comic books for us when we were kids. Sure. But I just feel like it's part of a kid's DNA back then that you Batman, you just love Batman. You love the the old 66 series and anything going forward. You love the comic books, but yeah, it, it it's just one of those things where it's just embedded in your DNA when you're, when you're that age. And like I said, I still love this movie and will go to bat for it every single time.
0: Like Darth Vader, Batman, and like the Beatles, I feel like you are born knowing about. And I think that like the boys are proof of that. My boys are proof of that. Cause they like, They somehow knew the Batman theme, but we'd never watched like Batman 66 or like had ever seen it or heard that song before. They had to have picked it up somewhere, but it's just it just seems like this innate thing that you just love Batman as a kid. And then as you grow up, it just gets like darker and more interesting and you get more into the themes of it. And um, I think Batman 89 really opens up in that same kind of way where you're like as a kid, you kind of feel scandalous watching it because it's darker and grittier but it's just so cool looking and then as you oh. grow up it's just like you just appreciate all the little nuances facets in it
1: how about batman returns batman returns is uh was like what was it 3 years later 92 mm-hmm. and i i mean i was still i was still a, a huge fan and i remember going to see it in the theater i was uh the Danny DeVito penguin that year for halloween <laughs> i didn't know that that, are there, that's a, are there pictures of that there are my wife asked me for them because i brought that up when we were watching the movie my stepmom has them so wow. i i know they exist but yeah i just remember like being that danny devito penguin and like <laughs> batman returns well i i could i could nitpick batman returns a little bit about some things it it, it still is equally great and not as good as the first but a a very good sequel and uh like the villains in it are and like that's like you said but one of the best things about batman is the villains one thing i want to say too before we get on to the next part is we were talking about why batman is such an important character i think it's because everybody has a different batman that they love like adults kids teenagers there's there's a batman for everybody so it's it's not like a Superman where it's just pretty consistent. Superman Batman has a, there's a different level of Batman for everybody. And even when you're like 80 years old, there's a, there's a Batman story that you'll read and you'll be like, Oh hell yeah, that's awesome. But I, I hate to jump back, but I wanted to make sure to say that. That's
0: a great point too, because you know, I was watching Batman, the brave and the bold today. And I was like, well, this is probably somebody's Batman. Batman the animated series is somebody's Batman. Oh yeah, Batman like Adam West Batman is is definitely Paul's Batman. It's a lot of people's Batman as well. And that's a great point because yeah, Superman. There's little nuances and things that change about him over the years, but it's still pretty consistently like truth, justice in the American way or, or whatever they changed it to now. I forget what they changed it to, but like pretty much just Superman fighting for the cause of good. And then you get into the nuances of it as you get more into comics and read about you know different authors. And uh, artists takes on him but there's overall there's like one superman you're absolutely right
1: i think too that um i remember as a kid knowing the different batmans like watching the adam west show and watching the tim burton and and reading the comics and they were it was all batman it's all that's all the same character it's just different facets and like i don't think anyone else really has that or has that uh has that going for him where t- i totally knew the differences between the two but i loved them all equally and and got things out of all of them
0: and it's interesting that you say that batman returns is not as good as batman 89 we might have to reconcile our friendship later on in this podcast what we'll, we'll get to it we'll get to it we'll get to it oh man <laughs> This is really just, I wanted a public forum to, so Joel didn't kill me when he finds out some things that I say later on. So I would never hold anything against you for
1: your pop culture opinions.
0: In terms of the Batman, how are you feeling about Matt Reeves, the Batman? What's your hype level for that?
1: It's high. I definitely don't go to the movies as much as I used to. And I sure. definitely don't get as hyped for movies as I used to. But I mean, anytime there's a Batman and anytime there's kind of a new telling of it I'm always willing to give it a chance and uh and yeah I'm, I'm super pumped for it and super excited and I think it looks awesome and it's really soon
0: it's so soon I gotta tell a quick story real quick I went on a date this past weekend to see the movie scream there was no second date and I think it's because I'm like 10 sure it's because during the Batman trailer before scream I let out like a little squeal on accident and I like Dean screamed myself out of a second date <laughs> so here I sit dateless on a Tuesday. No,
1: it's all right. We're we're doing a podcast, so uh,
0: <laughs> at least you love me, Joel. I do.
1: And then we're going to Washington D.C. to take back the White House. Yeah!
0: I'm ready for it. I think Robert Pattinson is going to be an amazing Batman. I hate when people make that jump. They're like, "Oh, the Twilight guy is doing Batman. Let's we'll see how that goes." And it's just like ignoring the 15 amazing weird bizarre like art house movies he did in the middle that
1: makes him the perfect
0: batman you know but we'll see we'll see we'll get ready they said
1: the same thing about miss when they cast mr mom as as batman and uh look what happened now now in hindsight people look back on michael keaton and they're like but i i I would say he's the he's the best batman
0: and thank you for saying that because you know what time it is it's bat time it's bat time it's time to head to the bat computer for a brief rundown on the history of batman 89 and batman returns let's go to the bat cave really crazy to think about these days that like superhero movies especially batman movies weren't always as surefire as bat as they are right now in this superhero movie saturated landscape batman's last big screen outing before that was in 1966 with batman the movie as we covered last week with paul and all the credibility and mainstream buzz for the character that he had it all but fizzled out after the batman tv shows cancellation in terms of the mainstream consciousness there was no bat fever anymore so cut to 1972 michael uslin a junior at indiana university And the teacher of the world's first ever accredited history of comic books course began working at DC Comics on retainer. Warner Media Group, who owned DC at the time, wasn't too happy about owning a bunch of no-name superhero licenses, and only saw merit in the Superman name. Kind of going to your point earlier, Joel, about like Superman just just like this dependable American character that really um, spoke to people. But Uslan and his business partner at the time, MGM executive Benjamin Melniker, set out to acquire the Batman rights with a mission to create a dark and gritty vision of Batman on the big screen. They bought the film right to the character on October third, nineteen 1979 for a substantial sum that needed to be paid back every year until a Batman movie went into production. The Clock King would have felt right at home in this ticking clock conundrum.
1: Studio after studio turned the project down until 10 years later when it was finally pitched to a record company, Casablanca Records, who had been dubbed at the time as the Kings of Disco. So originally it was slated to be a Universal Pictures release, but it jumped from studio to studio until it finally found its home, at Warner Brothers with John Peters Producing. A young animator turned director named Tim Burton was eyed for the project after his colorful and creative films, Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice were huge successes at the box office. At the same time, the star of Beetlejuice, Michael Keaton, was also being eyed for the role of Batman, causing dramatic and hostile pushback from Batman fans around the world. There were tens of thousands of hate mail letters poured in expressing their disdain and disbelief that they'd cast a comedian in the role of their beloved billionaire playboy turned mass vigilante. So basically everyone before the internet, everyone was really upset (laughs) that they cast Mr. Mom as, uh, (laughs) as Batman, but come on, he was Beetlejuice. Toxic fandom existed pre, uh, pre Reddit.
0: So that's good. That's good to know. It's, it's like comforting in a weird way, but like, if you think about it in you know, you know, hindsight's 2020, obviously, but like Batman 89 is essentially like a dark comedy. It's not really an action movie. It's not really a full-fledged superhero movie. It's kind of like a real bleak, dark comedy. And and Michael Keaton is is ideal for that. It's just about giving people chances where you th- creative people know how to be creative. Let them be creative. I don't know. I, I can't picture anybody else in the role of Batman at this point, especially once you get into like the Val Kilmer and George Clooney of it all. Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne is like electric. I love him. He's
1: got it. he's he does it all. He's he and he, he looks good in the suit. <laughs> he's cool. He's cool as Batman, and he's also a little bit, a little bit crazy, and uh, he's he's got it all, and it it shows. And I, like I said, I I can't. I mean, obviously Michael Keaton's in other roles, but when I <laughs> when I see him, I think I think Batman absolutely. And I I
0: do think besides the animated series, like Kevin Conroy voice, I think Michael Keaton's Batman voice is the best because it's not as like as everybody else's is. It's just like casual, cool, but still gritty and i don't know just something about him he's just so suave and laid back in the role it's probably because we grew up with him and we yeah. it's just like imprinted on us at such an early age but i just that voice whenever like the christian bale does the batman voice it's like Whew. comical because it's just it's just not batman i don't know it just sounds like he's growling at you i don't appreciate it
1: um, i feel like i did read i did read somewhere that like he did try to speak in a lower register, but whatever Michael Keaton's lower register is, it's way smoother and cooler than everybody else's. But it's still like when he says I'm Batman, like it's yeah. still, it's still like scary and, and uh, intimidating, but I don't, I mean, obviously sure. In, in 1989, if I was like a 25 year old dude, maybe I'd be like, Hey, what are they doing? Casting this guy as Batman, but sure. It, to- it totally works. And I also remember reading something too where uh, like Arnold Schwarzenegger was upset because he was, he was like, and don't quote me on this, but I feel like it was Arnold Schwarzenegger was like upset that like, Oh, this is, this is it. Like, this is the first time that they cast somebody who wasn't like a muscle bound guy as the hero. And oh. that, that's yeah. I, I can't remember what it was, but I remember seeing that where like the action stars were upset because this is the first, the first, like, known successful time where they cast someone as that as Batman who was wasn't like a muscle bound guy. So I, I think it's I think it was a great choice and obviously we're we're still talking about it today, so
0: Yeah, I think I think specifically about him talking um when they're in the, the cathedral at the end and he goes to uh the Joker and he's like, Excuse me, you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? That's how I think of Batman talking. Excuse me.
1: Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight?
0: I think that your the Schwarzenegger point is a good one. I think I have read that somewhere where it was like this changing of the guard, especially just, you know, Batman, this type of movie specifically, was kind of the changing of the guard away from like the Cobras and the Commandos and the Die Hards into more like franchise. Entertainment like this, so that would make sense that they would feel threatened. As we'll see later on, Arnold Arnold found his way back in in a in a big way.
1: So, and don't and don't get me wrong, I'm 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 totally okay with Arnold Schwarzenegger in the bat in his in his role in the Batman franchise. (laughs) Anyways, uh, with the rest of the cast, Vicky Vale was originally going to be played by uh, Sean Young from Blade Runner, but she protested about her character vanishing from the pages with every version of the script, and then right before the movie was going to be filmed, she was in a horse riding accident and she was unable to play the role. The film executives jumped at the chance to recast her and they pulled in Kim Basinger, who this is kind of weird saying, but Kim Basinger has probably one of the greatest screams in film history. Vicki Vale throughout the movie (laughs) screams and it's like, like, I feel like, don't they, they sample it in the, in the soundtrack. Totally. Um, it's every, and it's like literally burned into my brain that if I heard that scream, <laughs> I'd be like, oh yeah, that's Vicky Vale, Batman, 1989. But as we'll find
0: out in a moment too, that's not all that was sampled by Prince into, uh, into his songs from Kim Basinger. But
1: uh, So Kim Basinger was cast and arriving on the set after the production had already started. She said of her character, I wanted her to be tough in the newsroom, but I wanted her to be feminine like Cinderella. I think that absolutely comes across in the role. I love how they always refer to her like badass photos that she took. And then now she's taking pictures of Batman. And it like, yeah, she's she's a successful woman doing her thing. And, and like I said, she's a perfect uh, romantic interest for Bruce Wayne and Batman. She just, it's kind of, she kind of plays it
0: right down the middle. She's savvy. She's successful, but she's still like... She's just a, a photojournalist being taken on by the Joker. She's going to be freaked out. And like you said, that scream just like permeates the entire movie. But, you know, I think of her towards the end, too, when they're in the cathedral and she's just like purple. Oh, I love purple. Like that whole part where she's just like decides to like seduce the Joker. That's like all of Kim Basinger's creation. You know, I think that that's very... Much very telling of how into the role she was. Jack Nicholson was brought in to play the Joker for a reported $50 million and also nabbed top billing. Just to put that amount of money in perspective for this time period, $50 million in like 1989 bucks is the rough equivalent of $112 million in 2022 bucks, like with inflation, which is just fucking insane. Also to put that even more in perspective, Michael Keaton made like $4 million as Batman and then his pay raise for Batman returns after this movie was just like a huge hit was 10 million. So even as like the returning character playing the title role, he still made like $40 million less than Jack Nicholson to play the Joker. It's completely insane. It was like, it was like unheard of up to that point. I think they absolutely got their money's worth. Assumed to be a flop before it's release, Warner brothers created a marketing blitz that had not been seen since ET in 1982. And before that was star Wars in 1977. Uh, the Batman logo, as Joel alluded to earlier, was plastered fucking everywhere. I do remember this time so specifically, and I was only six. Like, I remember just seeing the gold and black Bat logo everywhere. Prince was signed to Warner's record label at the time and agreed to compose an album of concept music that was tied to the characters, with Bat Dance among the songs that became a number one hit. I wanted to do a whole, like, breakdown of the Bat Dance music video because I think there's actually more going on thematically in the Bat Dance video than there is in the movie batman um uh, maybe we can do a bonus podcast about that someday cuz that that video is insane that song is insane it's funny that there's like a karaoke version of it it's literally just like a beat that changes every like minute in the song with like joker samples and then vicky oh, vale screaming and then it's vicky vale vicky vale so
1: <laughs> imagine how much imagine what
0: yeah exactly imagine what kind of psychopath you would look like getting up to do karaoke at a bar and being like Batman, Vicky Vale. Vicky Vale. Bruce Wayne. And like <laughs> just people would just think you've fucking lost your mind. Warner Brothers Licensing Arm Licensing Corporation of America, contract with 300 licensees to create more than 100 products. Do you remember that like catalog? Do you remember that? I do. I there was a catalog and then there was also like on the home video, a Daffy Duck and like in Bugs Bunny, like Warner Brothers cartoon about them buying things from the catalog.
1: Let's see if you're really ready to watch this movie.
0: Okay. Popcorn? Check. Soft drink? Check. Warner Brothers ball cap? Uh Aha! You can't watch a Warner Brothers movie without a Warner Brothers ball cap. It's such a specific memory from my childhood is that that, that cartoon intro. It's like basically Daffy and Bugs uh, selling you all this Batman merchandise. <laughs> exactly. And our feeble childhood brains being like, I want that Batman hat. Products in the catalog included a Batman watch for $35, baseball caps, bicycle shorts with a matching top, a model Batwing, obviously action figures. And then the, uh, the piece de resistance was uh, like a faded white jean jacket with a rhinestone bat logo bedazzled be on the back of it for $500. So yeah, they were just going insane, just all out media blitz on this because they assumed this movie was going to flop because no one cared about Batman. They didn't know how the grittiness of it was going to work. They didn't know how Tim Burton was going to do, even though he came off of two giant hits. As uh,
1: Joel will tell you here, it was the complete opposite of that. So nowadays, it's it's uh, any pr- pretty much any superhero movie makes millions of dollars at the box office but batman became the first movie to make a hundred million in just 10 days created even more of an incentive for stores to carry all that crazy merchandise um and for bugs bunny and daffy duck to 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 try to sell you on it (laughs) um legitimate businesses weren't the only ones getting in on the action there was federal u.s marshals Conducted raids across the country, seizing more than 40,000 counterfeit Batman shirts and other bogus items. So even after this gargantuan marketing effort, the film still lost money after all was said and done due to insane production costs and excessive promotional dealings, which that's crazy. This was likely to cut off Jack Nicholson from getting an even larger payday as he had a cut of the movie's profits built into his contract. <laughs> However, the deed was already done, and Batmania of 1989 forever changed the way blockbusters were marketed and produced. Do we have time for a quick story about uh, a ba- Batman action figures? Of course. One of the best, but also like traumatic moments of my life. I feel like I got like <laughs> oh, no. the, the um, Toy Biz Batman action figure for Christmas from the 1989 movie. And uh, it like I got it for I got it I opened it I was playing with it that first day I think I was in the bathroom and I dropped it and it just shattered <laughs> like it didn't it didn't just like break into a couple pieces it literally like shattered and I I just have that memory burning in my mind as like a, a traumatic memory and I remember my mom was like yeah the like toy biz like those crappy toys like they break all the time so then we always had a, <laughs> a mom uh, say that yeah mom. she she was cause, yeah I feel like my mom was like. She was always trying to get like the cool toys. Like she, I remember trying yeah. to get the like. It was a little bit before my time, but trying to get like the Star Wars toys, sure, and uh, made by Kenner. And I feel like she had like different opinions on the different toy companies. And like with that toy biz, Batman just shattered into a million pieces. And she's <laughs> like, "Yeah, these toy biz." If you go back and watch YouTube videos of the toys from the first line of toys from the 1989 Batman. <laughs> They, they were kind of crappy, and I, I could... But, I mean, everybody bought them. Every kid had them. I had the similar a similar experience. I don't know if this was for Batman Returns
0: or for Batman. I remember having the Batman movie action figure with, like, the belt. Like, the grappling line came out of his belt, and you could pull yeah. it and use that. And... I remember my sister and I got in a fight and she pulled the string too hard and it didn't rip out. It just kind of did that thing that like seat belts do, whatever, where just kinda like all the stretchiness came out of it. And I was just like, I'll never forgive you. <laughs> like John, that was
1: the same toy.
0: It was okay. Yeah, so, well, it, it was, was just to-
1: total junk. It could take it should take a couple pulls, a couple hundred pulls before it do- it doesn't go back in. Come on. That's what she said. Released to
0: much acclaim on June twenty third, nineteen eighty-nine. Uh, directed by Tim Burton, written by Sam Hamm and Warren Skarin, uh, of course, based on characters created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. You know, Batman released to complete fanaticism from people. People were losing their minds. Everyone had Bat Fever. The music, of course, uh, by the famous Danny Elfman of Oingo Boingo fame, frequent collaborator with Tim Burton. Danny Elfman, at first, quit the project because he was horrified to learn that the producers wanted like a pop-heavy instrumental score, the movie like not an actual score for the film but like stylized um classical versions of like pop songs in this in the in the actual movie which is so insane to think about so yeah he he bailed out and quit but you know they called him back up and were like we need you man and he visited the set in london just a few weeks later and it inspired him to the point where on the flight back home he wrote it like in his head and was like writing down all the parts and visualizing it because he's a goddamn genius and he was you know desperate to record it all before the flight cruise landing music came back on and erased it from his brain i feel like Anyone that's ever written a song knows what that's like, where it's like, I, get, I have a cool idea, I have a cool idea. If I hear one other song, I'll never hear, have it in my head again. He said this, I was hearing the whole theme in my head, the A section, B section, French horns, first string, second strings. I was really breaking it all down to this incredibly loud 747. Since I was sitting next to somebody, I didn't want to yell into my tip recorder, so I kept running into the bathroom, which was even noisier. It was getting weirder and weirder because I kept going back every 10 minutes with new ideas. Every time I came out, there were more and more concerned flight attendants asking me if everything was okay. Everyone was like, what the fuck is this guy doing every 10 minutes so just picture Danny Elfman like on a commercial plane like running as fast as he can in the bathroom on a flight every 10 every 10 minutes to record like like I feel
1: like I feel like this is going to be me as a broken record but I would say that Danny Elfman's score of Batman 1989 is is my favorite film score of all time it's literally like in my notes when I was watching the movie I took I wrote down like that the Batman theme and the music throughout is what Batman is still to this day. Like it still like resonates and every variation of Batman theme theme. I feel like it's based off of that. Amazing. I disagree with John and I think that the first score is better than the second score, but they're both equally great. There's, there's a reason for this. And I looked into it The the
0: score is implemented better in the second one. There's reasons for that because in, in Batman 89, they were using certain like dubbing techniques and things like that, where the score, the score as you're watching it, I mean, the more you watch it, the more it sticks out, but like, uh, and it's been like remixed and remastered since then in various forms, you know, but like when it first came out, it was buried by the sound effects because he wasn't writing it for the movie. He was writing it like just as themes for the movie, right? He was just kind of writing Mm -hmm. a score for Batman, for a Batman movie. So Batman returns incorporates the themes of the characters, a lot more fluidly and like plays into the events of the movie better. And I okay. just and there's like the Penguin theme I think is gorgeous, and like the Catwoman theme is so is so cool. And I just can never get the score from the beginning of Batman Returns out of my head when the bassinet's going down the river. Oh yeah, when you get pipe organ and like children's choir singing, it's just like that's that's where I feel the most at home. It's not that it's better; it's just used. The theme is just like more incorporated into the second film, so I think it just overall is a more successful score, but this is a more
1: formative one nothing's better than driving down the road and going da, 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 da. <laughs> i also have another personal connection to the the original batman score um when we were kids uh in the early 90s my uncle dale and my brother and i we we made a, a ho- like a homemade horror movie because he had just gotten a video camera and he would just gotten some editing like software for his like whatever computer he had. We made a horror movie called The Babysitter. And for whatever reason, he he edited the film and he he used the score of Danny Elfman's score from Batman 1989 to score <laughs> The Babysitter. And it's I think it just resonates with me more because I think of that too. But, sure. but yeah.
0: What you're saying is we're going to need the penguin pictures and a copy of The Babysitter.
1: You've never seen The Babysitter before, John?
0: I've only seen uh, Two Clowns. Or uh... Okay,
1: yeah. We'll I'll have to uh, I'll have to hook you up with that in one way or another we'll We'll get those pictures and yeah <laughs> okay. more uh embarrassing footage of me from the 90s not even for the podcast, not even for like the Instagram, just for
0: my own personal use so and now the true reason I brought Joel on it took a while. I won't say we bonded right away over Prince, but Prince is uh another thing that Joel and I share. Joel actually got me into Prince. embarrassingly, I always said that Michael Jackson was better. Joel basically, threatened to excommunicate me as his friend for saying such a blasphemous thing. And, and and here we stand years later, having seen Prince together at the United Center. There might be time for that story. <laughs> but, well, let's Uh-oh. see.
1: Let's see. The podcast is the running time is going up to, is, uh, <laughs> up to be like three, four hours now. So get ready, people. Ooh, it's
0: strange how it has changed from a Batman series into a print series. One of the most bizarre elements personally to me about Batman is the in- inclusion of the prince score it's just it seems so random and it's you know it's great that it's there but the same way that batman kind of saved the box office and changed the way that blockbusters were made the prince's inclusion an insertion into the Batman movie with his album Batman kind of saved him as an artist, at least as like a commercial presence, finding himself on the brink of financial ruin after a lengthy and expensive uh, tour for his album, Love Sexy, um, not to mention, you know, paying out severance packages for his long-standing management team who he recently just canned. Prince needed a hit. Prince was in dire straits at this point. So his newly hired manager, Albert Magnoli, set him up with Tim Burton, who coincidentally had been using songs like 1999 and Baby, I'm a Star and rough cuts of the film, he said they worked so well that he got in contact with you know, Prince's management and they brought him in. One of his original ideas was to have Michael Jackson write the songs for the light side of the movie and have Prince do the songs for the darker parts. But thankfully, that was scrapped because I don't even know what the hell that would look like. I was thinking that like the set, the Batman set, must have been the most like awe-inducing, awe-inspiring production you've ever seen because both Danny Elfman and Prince were convinced just by being on set to be a part of the movie again. They saw the costume. Prince was flown out to Pinewood Studios in London to visit the set and was so impressed that he came back with a full 11-song album after being asked to only contribute a few songs, Classic Prince. Burton scrapped two of the songs on the album, I forget which two. So the final nine-song album was released on June 20th, 1989, three days before the actual film came out. At that point, it was Prince's most commercially successful album since Purple Rain, restoring the purple one to his former glory and giving him enough industry clout to back his next film graffiti bridge for better or worse. Graffiti bridge is a real like true fans only moment. I feel like, but (laughs) um, I do have to mention real quick too, though, (laughs) that like one of the songs on the soundtrack is called scandalous and it features, you know, heavy samples of, of Kim Basinger's lines from the movie, but also just of her like moans and groans and things like that. So (laughs) As the story goes, after, like, a private recording session with her, that the Paisley Park cleaning crew had to clean just tons of honey off of the mixing boards after some, like, nine-and-a-half-week-style, like, sexual escapades between Prince and Kim Basinger. And then, like, I I guess Prince and, like, Kim Basinger have, like, this, like, Stockholm Syndrome. Basically, he was, like, irresistible to her, clearly because he's Prince. But, like, like her family allegedly had to go, like, pick her up from Prince's house and, like, kidnap her from the house because she was just so obsessed with him and like her car had to get towed out of his driveway because she got just got taken away from there so quickly I don't know it's just this really crazy bizarre kind of off-putting story about Prince and Kim Basinger But I'm still here and that
1: sounds about right I think I would have this the same reaction if I was uh (laughs) If I was in the studio with Prince, and uh, were were they ever like dating? Like, I don't mean to turn this into a gossip podcast, but that's fine. It is now. It's a Prince podcast. It's really weird. I was reading about
0: it, and it's not like they were dating, just basically fucking and then around each other all the time. But then Prince denied it, and then she denied it, and then Prince. I think Prince had a lot of relationships like that. But then Prince like sampled her like basically orgasm sound on the song Peach. That's Kim Basinger. So it's just like real, a little bit off putting in 2022. But it's also like it's prince and like clearly it's probably all true you would let prince put honey on you
1: yeah and i i need to have my parents come pick me up because (laughs) i'd be like i'm I'm at Prince's. i'm never leaving i'm never leaving (laughs) more power to you this is just me listing off the perfect cast obviously we had michael keaton as bruce wayne and batman Jack Nicholson as Jack Napier and the Joker. Kim Basinger as Vicky Vale. Here's one for you. Robert Wool as Alexander Knox. King of the Wicker people. If anyone could call into the podcast and tell me what happened to Robert Wool. Like he <laughs> he was so good in this movie. And I watch it to this day, and I'm like almost 40 years old. And I'm like, this this Robert Wool rules in this movie. Knox is a great character. He's like he's kind of like a second rate like Bill Murray. But yeah, I love him. We've got Pat Hingle as Commissioner Gordon. Interesting choice for Commissioner Gordon, but uh, he did a great job. The most underused opportunity in film history. We've got Billy D. Williams as Harvey Dent. I think about it all the time. In like
0: Batman '89, the comic, they they bring back Billy D. as Two Face, but like, man, I just think about a world where we got a Two Face as like a Billy D. Williams as Two Face in a Tim Burton movie. Like, it doesn't get much better.
1: Um, we've got Michael Go as Alfred Pennyworth, who um also appeared in in uh, Batman Returns and. Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, right? He was like the yeah, the only yeah. person that carried over. Commissioner Gordon did too in the Forever. Okay. But Jack Palance, oh man, as <laughs> crime boss Carl Grissom. Jack Palance as Jack Nicholson as Carl Grissom. Yeah, Jack Palance. When I was a kid, I had no idea who he was, but uh, I definitely remember him in this role. And yeah, he he's like, is that you, Sugar bumps? <laughs> Don't forget. Jalucky lucky deck in a movie full of like bomb ass quotes he has like two or three of them like (laughs) you are my number one guy
0: (laughs) it's perfect and i feel like uh, i feel like i've received several shoulder rubs from joel gilbert with him saying that same thing to me so
1: and then last but not certainly not least is uh tracy walter as uh bob the goon and yeah you i mean it's the best batman movie ever because you've got Bob the Goon there as as that uh will do anything that the Joker wants whenever he wants. And he'll wear an embroidered uh Joker logo jacket as well.
0: Yeah, the Joker really got his merch game really locked down pretty quickly after transforming. All I can think about is Bob going, stop right there, I'll do Gordon. Um, <laughs> I mean, you don't want him to kill the commissioner. No, Bob. Bob the Goon, gotta love him. Movie had a budget of $48 million, with a box office of $411 million. This is insane. 71% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, 84% audience score, wrong, 100%. Un- 100%, 100% un- audience, no negative feedback. <laughs> oh, well, I guess we nailed it. We're doing things a little bit differently on this episode because the plot for Batman 89 is literally like Batman knocks Jack Napier into a pool of acid. He becomes the Joker batman defeats the joker usually would go way more in depth but i think that the story behind the movie is way more honestly way more interesting than the plot of the movie and that's what i was saying earlier It's like my only real nitpick about batman at this point in my life is that it's not really like about anything it just kind of exists and it's a series of really cool looking things and cool sounding things and cool moments and cool lines and cool costumes and cool cars and cool gadgets but it's just like kind of like a direct line from a to b but that's not really a complaint it's just kind of how the movie was made at the time i don't really know what else to say about it beyond the fact that like it's so many iconic moments so many amazing aspects to it gotham has never looked better the batmobile has never looked better the joker has never been better i just i just love it so much and there's just so much about it to praise and like i can Basically act this movie out. You know what I mean? <laughs> I feel like if I, if you gave me like a half hour to prepare, I could probably do this movie from start to finish every line because it's just so ingrained in my head. What else do you think about Batman 89?
1: The cast is perfect. Every line is a hit. At least in my opinion, like Back to the Future, like every line is like a quotable line. The costume is like, like a 50 out of 10. Batman never looked cooler. The logo the design, like, the marketing. When in your life were you ever championing, like, the marketing of a movie? But Batman being everywhere, it was like, I'm, I'm there. I'm there. Before the movie came out, I was one of those weirdo kids, and I had the official novelization of the movie. Me too. Which I read and, like, poured over before the movie came out and then going to the theater and just just being absolutely blown away. And you're, you're right. I mean, like, definitely not, like, the greatest plot heavy like character building story i remember reading something that critics were they they were 71 percent. they were a little down on it because they said it didn't it batman was hardly in it and i mean i but i feel like that's just because jack nicholson stole the show. Jack Nicholson just blows everybody off the screen. So like Batman was in it. You just forgot about him because Jack Nicholson's just like turned up to about 25 at this point. And I mean, this is just the laundry list of all the things I love, but I love the fact that it doesn't like spend a bunch of time on the origin story. It does it in a flashback. It doesn't it like you still get the story of Batman and why he's Batman. And you still get the love story between Vicky and Bruce and Batman even even though it all kind of like comes together real quick and I mean I guess if I was gonna if I was gonna um nitpick anything uh the one thing that I would say and this is really dumb is that just why did why did Alfred and and Batman are why are they so open to telling Vicky Vale that he's Batman so quick other than that it's a perfect movie in my opinion it's so good the biggest realization that I had watching it just recently is how violent it is yes like and But it doesn't But Jack Nicholson so, does such a good job That you, you, you're like Oh yeah I love the Joker Like even though he's bad And he's like throwing like a quill pen Into a guy's throat Like setting a guy on fire Ooh. Like like poisoning the entire city This is what the Joker's all about It's perfect But like at the same time It's like you like him so much And you want to just hang out with the Joker New and
0: improved Joker product. The new secret ingredient. Smiling. What is
1: this? let's go over to our blind taste test. Love that Joker. And then I just love the um, like when he wears the makeup to cover up his uh, his white face. And yeah, you know.
0: <laughs> it's also funny. This time, I something I really noticed um specifically about the Joker is almost 100 of the scenes he's in, he exits the scene. You know, Batman all the characters that'll end on like reaction shots of them or like, and like scenes normally do every shot that the, every scene that the Joker's in, he like plays himself off stage left. Like he'll spin out a frame or he like does some goofy walk off frame. It's really, it's a really fascinating choice. I don't know if it's intentional or if it's like uh, a choice from Tim Burton or, or if it was just coincidental, but like he it's a, it's just a big show for the Joker. He plays himself off in every scene. Obviously never rub up another man's rhubarb is classic. Uh, Look at us, Beauty and the Beast. But if anybody else calls you the Beast, I'll rip their lungs out. That part, amazing. Ship them all. We're taking them out a whole new
1: door. Like, the, I don't know. It's just so good. I don't know. It gives you, it gives you like a good taste of like all the different elements of Batman. Like, it's got like the campiness, it's got the like dark. This is like the first time in like film history where the darker side of Batman like shows up. Right, and I, I still, I mean, I still think it's the best depiction of it, especially after this and Batman
0: Returns. You can definitely see where Batman the animated series got its tone from, oh, yeah. because it's like, well, it's if it ain't broke, it's just a situation where the complaints that people have, like, has Tim Burton ever read a comic book? Blah 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 blah. It's just like it's not that; it's its own creation; it's its own version of the yeah. world it's it still exists in its own little weird burton universe and it's just just this fascinating take on batman that i just still think is unrivaled and unmatched in, between these two movies I've been clamoring for like the same feeling that these movies get me, give me ever since every time a new Batman movie comes out.
1: I hate to be a a downer, but I don't know if it'll ever happen. I mean, it it could happen again, maybe. And I hope it does. Watching these, you know, back to back Batman and Batman Returns, we'll get
0: into in a second. But like, it kind of broke my heart about, again, not trying to bash the MCU, but just directors allowed to just have their own vision and not just like we brought a director in to have like just the smallest little tidbit of what their style is in the movie on top of a pre-formatted style of the movie like marvel movies do just letting them loose letting their imaginations loose and like letting them have free reign over the character i just don't know if that's possible anymore there's just something about tim burton in this era that will never be recaptured again but you know where he did recapture it in 1992
1: in Batman Returns and the only one who can save this city is a creature of the night
0: hey stud we had something together
1: we do (laughs)
0: While she craves a romance she can sink her claws into
1: You can't to a girl like me. He plots a foul reign of destruction. My dear penguins,
0: thanks to Batman, the time has come to
1: punish all. Of Batman.
0: The summer of nineteen ninety two, Batman returned, but not before the studios coaxed Tim Burton back into the director's chair, demanding and eventually giving carte blanche to do as he pleased. Burton even went so far as to pitch the idea of throwing the events of the first film out completely. He wanted to start over from zero right from the get go. The only reason he'd agree to do it, you know, the only way he would do it is if he was allowed to do whatever he wanted to and he didn't want to repeat himself. So, the, you know, the studio denied this directly. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, the philosophy of starting anew permeated every aspect of Batman Returns. You can see it in every scene. Like for starters, the movie released at the beginning of summer, but took place during Christmas time, which is like not an ideal way to kick off the blockbuster season. And it's just like such a bizarre little touch that just, again, seals off this bat universe of Tim Burton's into its its own thing. It's just completely against the grain of what a summer blockbuster should be from the first two minutes of it you know on top of that you know Gotham was redesigned from the ground up by Bo Welch you know you had these kind of like rusty dark art Deco Browns and kind of more earth tones and you know rust and things like that in in the original Batman but in this one it's a darker more brooding Gotham it's gray it's black it's dramatic it was described as having this generic fascist like neoclassical architectural aesthetic even after the sets from the original were stored specifically at Pinewood Studios in the event of a sequel so they were just like they're like there's gonna be another Batman we're gonna keep these sets away but then Tim Burton was like nah we're, we're, we're starting from scratch basically so they just rebuilt Gotham and it's it shows like it's definitely it's funny how much Batman Returns feels like the same movie but also a completely different movie from the get-go you know the new sets kind of reflect the dichotomy of the characters and the overarching theme of you know identity alter egos id versus ego for instance like selena kyle's cotton candy pink apartment that she starts off in is this like kind of ho-hum secretary that down on her luck constructed upon steel beams and girders that are like cutting through the walls it's this facade representing that she's just kind of going through life and it's just this sham of a life until she becomes Catwoman. You know, like the penguins mayoral headquarters is brightly lit like fluorescent lit like an office and it's got all these like really um uppity like sweater vests wearing like hey hey buddy kind of people walking around with like washed out fluorescent lighting while you know, he goes up the spiral stairs, and it's like this decaying, decrepit domicile that has all of his, like, circus freak buddies in it, you know, representing, like, on the streets, he's this, he's one thing, but then he goes up in his head, and he becomes this, like, complete psychopath. So, you know, there's a lot more thought put into the actual characterization and plot development and the actual themes of Batman Returns, and it focuses more on personal relationships and, like, these blurred lines between the Caped Crusader and his villains, while creating more of a social commentary on, like, social strata and how class consciousness creates the real villains in society really the person that is the catalyst for all the events in batman returns besides oswald cobble cobblepots parents is max Shrek, christopher walken max Shrek. he's he's the person that sets the penguins real plot line in motion he's the person that pushes selena kyle out the window to you know create catwoman and it's you know it's like the real villain is like this capitalist clown that like basically is pulling the strings of society and like pushing the lower class against the people of gotham and making them the villains when you know he's kind of the villain overall there's a lot more going on in batman returns for for sure it was released on june 19th 1992 directed again by tim burton written this time by daniel walters music by danny elfman again with you know michael keaton as bruce wayne danny devito as oswald cobblepot also known as The Penguin. Michelle Pfeiffer is Selena Kyle slash Catwoman. Christopher Walken is Max Schreck. Michael Goh makes a return as Alfred Pennyworth and Pat Engel back as Commissioner Gordon. The budget for this one higher this time, $80 million. And, you know, slightly diminishing box office returns on this. $266.89 million. Rotten Tomatoes score of 80% with the critics and 73% with the audience. People attribute the lower box office score how, like, insanely violent, In dark and sexual batman returns is it's it's wild it's a wild 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 movie what are your thoughts on batman returns joel
1: they saved a lot of money because they didn't have to pay jack nicholson yeah exactly like we can make more of a movie because we didn't just blow our budget on one guy
0: (laughs) (laughs) um oh i forgot to mention too like stan winston uh, of course brought was brought in to do all the penguin effects the penguin is just like what a what an awesome creation the penguin is like has like that just the nasty flippers he's got i was reading it's like a combination of like red and green and black food dye in mouthwash in his mouth in every scene so that
1: just a little oh, yeah. bit of like it's like he's just brushes teeth with charcoal toothpaste it's just like dream. and it changes every it changes every time so every time there's like a new like one minute you'll look at it and it will be nothing and then the next minute like like nasty black charcoal in his mouth
0: this movie is hypnotic. I just love, I love everything about it. Like the Catwoman costume is incredible. Just the vibe of this movie altogether. Just, just the idea that, like, I don't know. Just there's, there's really not a lot of action in it. And it's a lot of like really personal, up close scenes with people and the, all the characters in it. And like the Batman and Selena Kyle part of it, going into that relationship, that like famous Catwoman Batman relationship, and in this like really dark, kind of sad way. I love Batman Returns.
1: John, you're real hot on it. I am. I'm also hot on it, but when you're when you're putting it back to back to the first one, I I go with the first one. But I I do love Batman Returns, and I I do think the the casting, especially the cast, is not as perfect as the first one. But the Danny DeVito, Michelle Pfeiffer, the dual villain of the the Penguin and Catwoman, is is amazing. And they do such a good job. The look of the movie is amazing. Definitely more Tim Burton than the first one, for sure. The One of the most memorable things in my note, in my notes I took is, like, we were, like, within the first, like, 30 seconds we were watching it, and my wife was like, is this a Tim Burton movie? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, and, and then... Ooh, is it ever? Like I said, I, I definitely see a lot of Edward Scissorhands in the the look and the score and the, and the, the winter setting and the the music and everything I can, I can see a connection between that, but that's classic Tim Burton. And I definitely like in this one, how you get to see more of Gotham, not just like the the couple spots that they go to. I feel like they love showing that uh Shrek's department store over and over again. Oh yeah. And I and love, it, I love the bright red, like Shrek sign on the grays and everything like that. Oh Yeah. They go back to that a lot, but it's great. And it's definitely burns an image into your mind. I feel like, this could be my hottest take on Batman Returns, but I feel like Christopher <laughs> Walken was unutilized as Max Shrek. I feel like he was was pretty weak in ter- especially compared to Catwoman and the Penguin. Like I feel like he could he could have uh, been a little bit more of a villain. I think I think I used to think that way about it, but I
0: think watching it this time. I realized he was more of like the puppet master role of like just pulling the strings and just being like the skeezy businessman. I think he was like just perfectly utilized. I don't know. I also loved his uh son that was like doing the worst Christopher Walken impression of all time. No, that
1: this I I gotta give a shout out to Chip Shrek because especially in in twenty twenty two, it he seemed like a very like sleazy politician, Donald Trump son, like like yeah, Dad. I'll d- yeah, Dad. Let me do this. And yeah, I yeah, I definitely appreciated that. And his his son. I I, I want to know more about his son. he was definitely a real a real Don Junior
0: type, just as much of an idiot. So the touch point for this movie, I feel like, is very much Fritz Lang's Metropolis, like just the stark grays of Gotham and just just how it looked and how cold. Everything was was very Metropolis, and I appreciated about that. Much like there's an there's an underutilized or an underserved use of um, Vertigo, Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo, in Batman eighty nine, especially the ending. There's like a paranoia and a an underlying like boiling up of of Gotham City, but that, that very much reminds me of like Vertigo at the end of that. But I think the a major touch point for this movie was Metropolis, and I just I love that stylistic tone shift. I love the fact along the lines of Metropolis. I follow someone on Letterboxd that posted a video they made of. Batman Returns as a silent movie, and it absolutely works. This movie is so inspired by silent films that it really heightens it. You know what I mean? Like, it, I feel like it, you you could take the dialogue out, you could take the sound effects out, and it still works in every capacity. So, but you know, this movie ha- actually has a little bit more of a complicated plot. So, Joel,
1: get us going on that. All right, Oswald Cobblepot, the Penguin, is a he's abandoned at birth, but soon rises to political fame. With the aid of Max Shrek, a local business tycoon, whose plans to make a nuclear power plant that guarantees Gotham's dependence on him for their power needs for years to come. His evil plan to suck the power from Gotham <laughs> is discovered by his assistant, Selena Kyle. Shrek murders Selena Kyle by pushing her out the window of his department store headquarters, where Stray Cat save her from certain death by imbuing her with the powers and senses of a cat. This is what I miss from comic book movies is like, yeah, the cat's bitter until she was an evil
0: supervillain. What do you want from us? I feel like there's so much like emphasis on like superhero origins and things like that, that like she literally gets a, a, a origin story in like two seconds of like, cats chewing on her fingertips and things like that it's like it makes no sense but it makes all the sense in the world because it's like
1: it's a batman story what do you want not everything needs to be explained needs its own prequel movie needs its own origin story things just happen and i mean you like i said she she gets pushed out the window She gets resurrected by cats and she takes her revenge on on Gotham and Max Shrek. And it's Michelle Pfeiffer is is just awesome in the movie. She's intensely intensely hot in this movie too. (laughs) Like this is
0: like Michelle Pfeiffer at the height of her powers. And I was just like, there was some like awakenings that happened I think with the cats,
1: with the Catwoman suit. Catwoman and Penguin team up and hatch a plan to frame Batman for murder and take over the streets of Gotham. But of course... They are foiled at the 11th hour as Batman exposes Cobblepot for the sham he is. The Penguin loses his mind and uh, flips out and returns to his underground Arctic lair. He tells his circus freak cronies to kidnap and kill the firstborn sons of Gotham's elite. First off, I want to say that uh, the scene where uh, the Penguin takes over the Batmobile is my favorite scene. It's just him flipping out and losing his mind. Controlling the Batmobile from like what looks like a like grocery store, like like a Batmobile ride. Do you think that exists anywhere still? That that prop. I hope that it exists, but they're probably saving it at Pinewood for the next uh, Batman
0: sequel.
1: <laughs> the plot to kidnap and kill the firstborn sons of Gotham is is also hilarious because he. The penguin was the firstborn son of his bougie parents. So he, he wants to take his revenge on that. And I think that that's great. Such a fantastic, like old school
0: Batman villain plot, but just taken to the next level by how dark and weird everything is in this movie. I just think it's so funny that people refer to like the Christopher Nolan Batman movies as like a darker, grittier take on Batman. And it's like, this is a movie where like the penguin is like slobbering black goo out of his mouth and eating a raw fish And, like, bites a guy's nose off and, like, blood is cascading down his face. I don't remember anything like that happening in the Christopher Nolan Batman movies at all. You know what I mean? I don't think it gets darker or grittier than Batman Returns. So, this plot to kill the firstborn sons of Gotham is very, like, Old Testament
1: meets, like, golden age of comics. He takes Shrek into his custody. Of course, Batman foils this plan. And the Penguin's immediate response is to Unleash an army of killer penguins on the city of Gotham to kill everyone. He's not just going for your firstborn sons. He's going for your your daughters, your moms, your uncles. He's going for everybody. He's this, going for broke. Uh, this is the end going wild, too. He's like, you're firstborn, your second secondborn, your third thirdborn, <laughs> your are fourthborn. It doesn't get better. Alfred helps Batman jam the signal of the penguins' launch mechanisms and turns them uh, back onto the penguins' arctic lair instead. And it eventually blows up the penguin causing him to plummet to his death in the process. Uh Catwoman appears and confronts Batman where
0: he makes a desperate plea for the two of them to leave together that they're the same, you know, makes this plea to her like we're you like let's just get out of here, let's make a life together. Really heartbreaking, I don't know. Catwoman's more insane urges prevail and she finally gets her revenge on Max Shrek by electrocuting him with a taser while kissing him. Uh, As the whole power reactor of the Arctic layer explodes and everyone goes down with it. At this point, the penguin emerges with the most black goo ever shooting out of his mouth. He's looking really fucked up. Eventually, he succumbs to his injuries and falls over. And this really sweet, really amazing moment of these these emperor penguins waddling out and carrying. They carry the penguin to his watery grave like pallbearers. And it's just like man i just love it i just love what they're doing here so much i mean the the score is pumping and it's this moment where it's like that criticism that tim burton cares more about the villains it's just that he started to care more about the characters i don't think it's just the villain i don't think villains even get this much pathos in in modern superhero movies they try so hard to make these like shades of gray style villains and like the penguin's definitely not that he's definitely like messed up and evil throughout he's kind of irredeemable but, like, there's a sympathy for him. He's, he's had a hard life. He was abandoned by his parents. He he uh, was duped into thinking he could be something bigger by, you know, Max Schreck. He's he, he thought he had a life and an identity coming his way. And he still just ends up dying in a pile of shit, basically. And, like, especially for, like, 1992, there's something really poetic and beautiful about this whole moment. And just those penguins carrying him into the water is just... One of my favorite images from any superhero movie, those penguins on the set, there was, you know, a combination of mechanical penguin, robots, little people in penguin costumes, and then actual like real penguins, like 60 or so real penguins. And they had their own dressing room on set. And that whole giant penguin layer set was always at 35 degrees to keep the, the penguins comfortable and that they flew them in in like a refrigerated compartment and an airplane and things like that. So the penguins got treated like really well on this movie, which I think is great. I'm obsessed with this penguin set. I'm obsessed with this like giant water tank. I love large spaces and giant water tanks for some reason. I'm completely obsessed with them. Like I was talking to Paul last week about the submarine set on batman 66 it's just like for some reason i just want to be in a room like that i don't i really don't know what it is but this set specifically is so 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 cool you get these like haunting images from it like the like the clown that the penguin shoots with the umbrella And later on, Max Shrek is like fumbling for the gun. And that clown is like, his corpse is like sunk to the bottom of the, of the water. It's just as bleak and dark as it can possibly be for a sequel to like one of those most popular movies ever made. I love that about it. And I love, it really gets into the idea of identity and alter ego. You barely see Batman in this movie at all. People thought that Batman wasn't in the first one a lot. He's literally in this movie like three times, I think total you know, for extended lengths of time, obviously, but you don't see, you see Batman in the beginning during the tree lighting and then you don't see Batman again for an hour, for a full hour. And it's like, that's the gutsiest thing possible. You see Bruce Wayne though, and you see this transformation, you see... This transformation of Selena Kyle into Catwoman and this transformation of the penguin into Oswald Cobblepot. The movie is really just toying with the idea of who are you really? The classic Batman concept of is the mask your identity or is your, you know, alter ego your real identity? Who's the real you? And just flipping with that dichotomy of 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 identity, It's just such a cool movie. I am running real hot on it right now. <laughs> you are. That was the thing that I wanted to like, I was like, I, was like I, I don't know if I have the guts to tell Joel that like right now I think Batman Returns is like a little bit above Batman 89. It's totally okay, man. <laughs> it's just a little bit above it. You know, Batman 89 is so ingrained in my DNA that like, but if I do zoom out and just really look at both of them, it's like this movie is pure magic. Like it's just so, so well put together and just so haunting and dreamlike and honestly so mournful and sad you know michelle pfeiffer i don't think has really ever been better in anything danny devito is just crushing it i think christopher walken is amazing in this but like just these bizarre super sexualized dark violent characters in a sequel to what was like one of the biggest like toy moving movies of all time you know not that the first one's not violent but this one is especially repulsive And it really works to its favor. It's great. It's like if Batman 66 had a nightmare. And I think Batman always
1: works best when it's like gothic horror. It definitely the grittiness and the darkness of Batman is important, but you also have to have uh, a little bit of the the lightheartedness and a little bit of like taking a little bit from the, the 66 era in order to make it make it feel more Batman. I feel like the Burton movies do a good job of being really dark and being really, like, horrifying. I mean, if you really, like, if you really put it down to what happens in these movies, it's horrifying. The, I mean, the Joker is literally killing people left and right. Yeah, and it, it's horrifying, but because it works so well with as Jack Nicholson as the Joker, you're able to, there's, like, some sort of weird, like, sick enjoyment to it. And then same thing with the Penguin. Like, there's a side of it that, the, a balance between the two. I just wanted to say, too, like, the the I love the relationship between Bruce Wayne and and Selena Kyle. Me too. They they know like Michelle Pfeiffer does such a good job. Like they know that they they like you want them to get together. They know they want to be together, but because they are who they are, they can't. And you just feel so bad for them. And then obviously, what happens at the end is isn't it at the end? Catwoman's still alive, right? Yeah, it's just, she. That's the end scene of the movie. Is she the
0: bat signals up in the air and she. Raises her head because there was gonna be like a Catwoman spinoff, but it just, it, it uh, everything kind of changed hands. Everything, everything kind of went to shit with Batman Forever. <laughs> we'll, we'll get in more of that next week. Yeah. And like the Selena Kyle, like Michelle Pfeiffer as Selena Kyle and Catwoman, she's definitely sexualized because that costume is basically like a like S&M like leather costume but it's it's this character that is really progressive for the time because she's very much like I'm taking the city back like she she saves that woman in the alley from the um from the guy that's mugging her she's just like oh yeah you're ever gonna count on Batman to save you huh you can't you can't even save yourself like she's like I'm here to liberate Gotham on my own and it's just such a cool take on the character because I, I like I love this like the psychopath nature of Catwoman in this movie, but she's coming from a place of, like, really progressive feminism. It's it's just such a cool meshing of the two. Like, the Nine Lives thing makes absolutely no sense, but, like, sure, let's do it. And Michelle Pfeiffer just absolutely even going back and forth between selena kyle and catwoman and kind of being like real meager and meek at before she's catwoman but then this version of selena kyle like you know catwoman is her personality is her identity but then she tries to be who she was before and she's just kind of this crazed like she can't hide it anymore you know and it's it's, it's right on the surface it's dark and it's eerie and it's haunting but at the same time it's really empowering and just fucking cool i don't know she's just so great in this movie definitely one of my top cat
1: women i feel like they can't do the role again because she did such a good job and everyone has that cat woman ingrained in their mind right but yeah she does such a good job of she's rejecting what she's supposed to be doing as a woman as a secretary doing her job working hard she's fed up with that she's like fuck you Max Shrek. I'm uh I'm taking over this town and I'm, I'm, taking and I'm uh I'm gonna expose you for all your evil shit like honestly have has there been there's been other Catwoman since then but has there been an iconic Catwoman since 1992? I don't I don't think so.
0: For the wrong reasons. Like the Halle Berry Catwoman was obviously a disaster. Catwoman in in Dark Knight Rises is like, I don't know, she's fine. Just like Anne Hathaway's Catwoman is just kind of like she's just so tacked on and and just barely there. I don't know. Yeah. Batman Returns is firing in all cylinders and I love it. And the marketing for this movie, too, was also there. Because remember, like, the bat, the cat, the penguin? Oh, yeah. And also, like, McDonald's fries never tasted better than when they were in the Batman Returns fry cup. And then all those Batman Returns, like, uh, collectible cups from McDonald's, are just another, like, extremely nostalgic thing from my childhood.
1: You know Batman Returns was on the up and up because the 89 Batman had Taco Bell, right? <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so the, And Taco Bell was not the... Not the uh, taco bell that it is of 2022 where everybody i feel like loves taco bell it was it was like sawdust meat in shells
0: but then (laughs) batman returns was so grisly and gritty and dark and weirdly sexual that it completely reformed mcdonald's like happy meal policies because they had a happy meal based around batman returns and like all mcdonald's you know mcdonald's uh executives were like what what is the shit coming out of the penguin's mouth like what is going on like you told us this was like a kids' movie." And um so it like completely changed the way that McDonald's approached their happy meals, which I just think is so funny. But yeah, you know, you know they really were going for the gold when they got those golden arches involved.
1: You can't talk not talk about Batman returns without talking about unlimited Poontang.
0: <laughs> it's true. We can sign off on unlimited Poontang.
1: This is your chance A fool full
0: of destiny your parents carelessly disguise. <laughs> Reclaim my birthright, you mean. Imagine that mayor. the year of the, the media. Access the captains of industry. Unlimited boom thing.
1: You drive a hard bargain, Maxie. All right, I'll be mayor. It struck me odd at how creepy the penguin was. Oh, yeah. In the movie. And how, like, I mean, it fits his character. I mean, if you were living in a sewer or living in, below, like, below a zoo uh, in, in like, the abandoned penguin uh, exhibit, you you may want to uh, have access to unlimited poontang at some point in your life.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's nothing more off-putting than, like, a sexual penguin. Um, yeah. Especially, with, like, I'm... when he has, like, all, like, the coat and the top hat off and he's just that, like, round ball of a man and you're just like i don't yeah. he's just he's so fucking horny in this movie it, it's really off-putting i had forgotten how sexual this movie is so or like when Catwoman's on his bed like explaining the plan and he literally gets out uh like flavored lube out of his out of his uh <laughs> nightstand it's like i don't remember i didn't ca- i didn't catch that yeah she said she says something about um a fly in the ointment and he's like yeah he's like what kind of ointment you want you want flavored or regular and like he gets like two
1: boxes of lube out of his nightstand (laughs) it's insane what was a young joel gilbert a 10 year old joel (laughs) gilbert thinking when he uh when he decided to be the penguin (laughs) Penguin did you have
0: those two tubes of lube in your costume like
1: um... now that you say that i did
0: (laughs) unlimited poontang is a great place to end any podcast so batman returns and batman 89 the tim burton years of batman are pretty hard to catch at this point you can interpret batman in as many ways as you want to on screen but hearts and minds, you know, I think that my uh, my heart will always belong to these two. So, any closing thoughts on on the Tim Burton Batman years? Just thank you, Tim.
1: <laughs> With that being said, are you ready to face the trials? I was born ready. I'm I'm still in my Batcave. Let
0: the trials commence. The official. trials game of the batman series is called off the bat we're gonna go through and ask joel a series of best and worst of the batman universe slightly rapid fire and uh get his takes on the best and worst worst of the on-screen batman films so are you ready to go yes all
1: right so best bruce wayne it's got to be michael keaton baby (laughs) worst bruce wayne I gotta go with uh, Ben Affleck. Like I don't even, I don't even remember. Like I love Ben Affleck, but I don't even remember him as Bruce Wayne. Best Batman. I got, I, I gotta say Michael Keaton. <laughs> Worst Batman. I gotta go with Christian Bale. My, uh, my <laughs> Nolan. My, I like, like I said earlier, I love going into and, and and absorbing any take on Batman that I can. But the, the. As years go by, the Nolan uh, Batman is just—I don't know. It's—it's like I appreciate the effort, but it's just not. (laughs) Nice try, Chris. Yeah, it's not. It just doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, thank you, Tim. No, thank you, Chris. I mean, we don't want to say no. Thank. I mean, at least like I'd rather have there be Batman movies than no Batman movies. Yeah, for sure. And I I think I'm definitely
0: warmer on the the Nolan movies than you are. So.
1: Oh. Uh, <laughs> so i'm just kind of going with the flow here um best bat suit the no i i don't i want to i want to say no but i mean the the 89 costume like the whoever decided that like do you know what i'm saying when like the the bottom of the bat is like different in the suit compared to the all the other logos and the traditional logos yeah it's thinner uh, yeah I don't know whose decision that was, but to me, it's like awesome. And it's just like iconically burned into my brain. And it's just like, this is, and I mean, it's, it's perfect. He looks good. It's cool. It looks like manageable. It's awesome. Uh, worst bat suit. Um, I'm going to go with probably, I got to go with, uh, the justice league batman versus superman i like i said i the love ben affleck but i i, I don't it, his batman doesn't really resonate for me i kind of
0: like that suit i kind of like the batman parts of those movies but best batmobile
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm sorry i remember going to a car show when i was a kid to see the 1989 batmobile and i had like a my dad bought us like a like a program from it and like there were pictures of the Batmobile, and I just remember like cycling through it, and there there were like all kinds of cool cars. But I would just always look at the Batmobile, and yeah, the who invent like I don't know the name of the person that invented that, but I want to like tweet at them and <laughs> say thank you. Like, how did you design this? Like everything from '89 Batman. I'm just I'm like I'm sorry. I'm just I'm just a hundred percent there. It was uh,
0: Anton First and Julian Caldo. Who okay. uh, who created the Batmobile? So like, do they thing. have Twitter?
1: Do they do you do they have Twitter? Can I tweet at them and be like, <laughs> thank you, for, thank you for this? You can do that on your own time, Joel. All right, I'm I'm gonna do it. I kind of have a feeling
0: where this is gonna go to best Gotham. Well,
1: oh, you didn't wait, wait, do, you wait! You didn't wait. do the worst Batmobile. Worst worst Batmobile. Well, I got the tumbler, man. Bad. I hate it. No, nobody, nobody wants that. No. Batm- I mean, the like, you might as well have Batman in a Hummer. unacceptable stupid it doesn't
0: even look cool i also think right now honorable mention is the batman forever batmobile when robin's driving it around and like the bat wings are like flopping on top of it there shouldn't be anything flopping around on the
1: batmobile there Um, shouldn't it should be it should be like clean hard cold black steel you're doing beat poetry right now yeah oh yeah Spoken word, <laughs> Uh best Gotham. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I'll probably say Batman Returns, and then, and then, but I also love the Batman. I love the, the Forever and Batman and Robin Gothams as well. Like I feel like they get bigger and wackier and crazier, and I love them. But yeah, I got, I gotta say, I, like Tim Burton started that. Like I feel like with every, every movie, it got, like. More and more over the top, and I appreciate that. But, yeah, I'll I'll say Batman Returns. Uh, And then Worst Gotham. Worst Gotham, Nolan Trilogy, man. It's uh, (laughs) like if I wanted to go to Chicago, I would just go to Chicago. And we know how you feel about Chicago, Joel. It's too spread out.
0: (laughs) And what else? And, uh... I don't know. Everyone wears sun. Joel's two big things against Chicago are it's too spread out and everyone wears sunglasses.
1: <laughs> everyone, Everyone's wearing big sunglasses in Chicago and it's too spread out. There, there, was a rule, there was a rule in my life where I would only go to Chicago to see Bruce Springsteen. That was like the only time that I was like allowed to go to Chicago because it's just too spread out. But yeah, but if Christopher Nolan, I don't know if you're making a movie for like Pe- people in the heartland but if I wanted to go to Chicago I would just go like I don't need like I want to be transported to like a dark place in my in my mind I don't want to be in Chicago It's very indicative of his style where it's just like there's
0: no emotion to any of it it's just very cold realism and I just I don't know
1: whatever best on-screen bat villain I'm gonna I'm gonna try to take a uh you may think that I would pick Jack Nicholson as the Joker which on certain days, I would, but I'm I'm honestly gonna say, and I love it so much, and I'll never deny it. Is Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze? <laughs> it's good. It's really good. I also love. I think Poison Ivy is good in that movie. I think. I think. Oh my Irma gosh,
0: Thur- Irma Thurman's I, so great in that movie.
1: Underrated, underappreciated, definitely like. As, like, not, as like a young lad, just appreciating her like power and like force, and like just she was like stunning in the role. And yeah, I, I, like, I don't know how you feel about the Schumacher Batmans, but I, I'm here for them and I'm okay with them. I, I, I know they're not perfect, we could nitpick them, but, but at the same time, it's like, man, they're just like so, like, you gotta give them props for doing that. Like, you gotta give them props for going over the top and yeah it's but yeah I, like i said arnold schwarzenegger is mr freeze love it worst on-screen bat villain i gotta probably say raza Ghoul from batman begins not great not fun not even remotely i've battled in my head and tried this so many times to get into batman begins and i've like rewatched it many times and i i can't and i would say also Like, uh, runner up would be the scarecrow from Batman Begins. Also, (laughs) shit. Like, come on, man. Like, like Killian Murphy. Is that that guy's name? Yeah. I mean, I give him, I give him props for trying, but it's just not, the movie is just not firing on any cylinders. (laughs) Best Batman movie. (laughs) Hmm. I
0: wonder what this Hmm. is going to be.
1: I, uh,. No, you know what it is. It's Batman, Tim Burton's <laughs> Batman from 1989. It's my favorite superhero movie of all time. It's the one of the most enjoyable movie experiences anyone can have. And I, I recommend anyone watching it, go, if you've never seen it, go watch it. If you have a kid who's like surprisingly young, but you're like, yeah, you can watch this really dark, creepy movie <laughs> that like, has Jack Nicholson like killing people, and it is—it's it, the best. You get Prince on the soundtrack, you get Danny Elfman, you get a perfect cast, you get that costume again. Like, like Google search that costume and just look at it, and you're like, oh shit. You get the Batwing flying away with balloons. Oh yeah, it. yeah. We didn't even talk about that when he flies the Batwing up against the moon, the silhouette classic like that was completely unnecessary but awesome no it was completely necessary you got to do it if i was ever flying the batwing that's the first thing that i would do (laughs) if
0: you're making a movie and you're forced between making the decision of having the batwing fly in front of the moon or not having the batwing fly in front of the moon you make the batwing fly in front of the moon and then uh let's end it
1: on a downer worst batman movie i mean I know the world. The world is out there thinking all these different things, but I I gotta go with Batman Begins.
0: <laughs> I think I said the same thing. It's just especially when you put it up on the, against the next two, which are actually like trying to do something. The ending just is so boring. It's the least fun. It's the least like enjoyable. It's I don't know. I don't know. It's just not great. Uh, I like the world is out there feeling different things. <laughs> that's the that's- world
1: is out there feeling different things, but because I feel like I feel like pe- a lot of people would say Batman and Robin. I feel like a lot of people would say maybe Dark Knight Rises, but I I, I love Batman and Robin. I I just before I go I just want to say I don't uh I don't want to sound like a like a Nolan hater, but but it's just the way that the the cards unfolded and like I said I appreciate it but
0: so yeah that wraps up our discussion of Batman 89 and Batman Returns. Joel thank you for for doing this with me. I wouldn't want to do it with anybody else.
1: Oh man, I hope I was I hope I was good and uh <laughs> I love you John and uh and you love Batman 89 I think more than me. I do. I love, I I think I love it more than anybody
0: that I know. Even your own, not even one-year-old son.
1: That's true. My one-year-old son, he has not watched it yet, but he will watch it. Maybe we'll, we'll try to get him to be the
0: Joker for Halloween. (laughs) Or just wear your, wear his dad's old penguin costume. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Best One Since the Next One. Obviously, stay tuned for our discussion of episode six, chapter six of the of almost at the Mandalorian, chapter six of the book of Boba Fett. Special guest Stephanie Cole. What the hell are we even in for? It's going to be insane. As the time this episode releases, I might be like in a ditch somewhere. Yeah. So stay tuned for that discussion. Thanks to Christian Cramo, Josh Stacy and Rick Johnson for our theme music. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you go on Spotify, ring the bell and give us five stars on their rating app there. It helps people find our show a lot easier. Find us on Instagram at B1M1Pod. Follow us on there. That about wraps it up for this week, and uh, we'll see you soon.